Hello and welcome to 5000 to 1, a Leicester City podcast hosted by me, Rob Tanner, and brought to you by The Athletic. On this week's episode, we're joined by former Leicester City striker with a knack for scoring record-setting goals. But before we say hello to him, it's time I bring in my co-host, City legend and former skipper, Matt Elliott. How are you, Matt? Yeah, I'm good, Rob. Hanging in there, mate. Great. You excited? We now have some dates for the return of the Premier League. Yeah, great news, isn't it? I think, um, you know, I've been... Obviously, keeping an eye on things sceptically and you know, from afar, really, because there's been a lot of talk about this date, that date. Is it going to start? Isn't it? And you thought, well, let things take their course. And I get a little bit excited as and when uh, things are definite. And barring calamities in between that period, it seems that it's, uh, it's all ready for the second big kickoff of the season, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And we're all looking forward to that. And without any further delay, let's welcome our special guest. He scored the first ever Premier League goal and later the first goal at the new Walker Stadium. It's, of course, Brian Dean. Dino, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How's things? Not too bad. Are you the same? Looking forward to the, the start, the resumption of the Premier League? Yeah, I suppose I am, really. I mean, it's been that long that I've, you know, I think things have You've had to prioritise things. I think everybody will be the same. Um, but, you know, it just shows you as well how important sport is to the community and everybody's well-being. So, yeah, I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a sign that things are going back to normal. Yeah, it certainly will. And did you see football playing an important role in what has been a very difficult period globally, uh, not just with the pandemic, but what, what we're witnessing um, around us as well now? Absolutely. Um you know, it's, it's a bit of a measure. I mean, you know, it's, I always, I always say, you know, if you think about people, fans, they work all week and then they need their release and the release usually comes at the weekend when they go to watch a game and they get high and then they, they go back down and then it, it, it's just, it's just a continual cycle. So it definitely does play a, a huge role. Um, it, it, you know, I mean, you look at a club like Newcastle and they're, their ground is in the town centre, for example, and you know how passionate the fans are up there. Um, you know, it's the same everywhere, really. And and I think we're seeing that sport in general, it, you know, it plays a huge part in, in people's well-being. And what about the situation we have at the moment, the Black Lives Matter movement and the terrible scenes we saw in the US? Um, football has been taking a stand, the Bundesliga Lads have been leading the way with Jaden Sancho, uh, Hakimi, mm-hmm. Weston McKenna and Marcus Turan, their gestures. Great yeah. that the Bundesliga has seen sense and decided not to take any action against any of them. Um, how important is it that sport and its stars are able to play a role in the global fight against racism? Well, again, you know, it just goes to show you, you know, black players are very uh, predominant in the game now at the, at the highest level. And you can't have double standards by not taking into consideration, you know, what might be affecting them. You know, it's very important that people respect, you know, what might be going on in, in people's minds um, and, and what makes them tick. You know, I'm no different to anybody. You know, when you think, when I think about what it was like for me, I had to swallow a lot of nonsense because I just wanted a chance and we're past that stage now. You know, sport is all about, you know, equal people competing on an equal level. What about you, Matt? We've seen the uh, all the teams have been uh, taking a knee for photos. The Leicester lads have been doing it as well. Quite poignant uh, imagery. Yeah, it, it is, isn't it? Leicester and I've seen Liverpool and 
Yeah, it's great to see solidarity between the clubs, between communities and cultures as a whole, isn't it? And obviously, it's a, it's a very a more than worthy cause, isn't it? You know, it's a very sensitive subject at the moment, yeah. and um, the reasoning and the message behind it is something that. I just can't fathom why anyone would not want to support it. <laughs> you know, it's, no. it's, it's unnatural to me. Yeah. That, that, I mean, Brian talks there about, you know, suffering, sort of indignation and uh, incidents earlier in his career and perhaps even to this day, I don't know, but it just beggars belief, really. You know, when when, when we, we, we used to play together or just, you know, everyday life, you just muck in and get on with it together, you yeah. know? That's the thing with sport, isn't it, Matty? It kind of there aren't any colours in. I, I, you know, you know, obviously, we there was a transitional period about what I'm talking about when I was younger, but there's never any colour in the changing rooms. And you know, I, you know, we take jokes. We know, you know, where how far to go. Either way, by the way, I'm not just well, saying. I was going to say that there's interaction between the boys together, yeah. isn't there? Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's accepting of what we are or what we're not. Yeah, but. It, it doesn't matter. It's not a problem. And like yeah. I say, there's a little bit of Mickey taking, a little bit of teasing, both ways, like you say. But it's just unbelievable that it's an issue, full stop. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Well, Brian, I've been looking, I did a little research about your career, and uh, predominantly we want to talk about your time at Leicester City, but what a career you had. I mean, starting at, uh, at Donny. Uh, were you 17 when you made your debut? Yeah, I was. Um, I... Um... Made my debut. I didn't get an apprenticeship or anything like. That. I actually broke my leg the season before. Uh, broke my tib fib and uh, dislocated my ankle, mm. and uh, that happened just before cr- the Christmas that year. And then it was about seven, eight months. I was in them days. You had a huge pot on your leg for like four months, and then another, you know, shorter pot on for another six weeks or something like that. So it took. A very long time, but the first thing I did when I come out of my pot was uh, got playing again, and then I, I wrote down to Doncaster for a trial. And luckily for me, the um, the head coach at the time, Dave Blake, he was he'd been at Leeds when I was there, and uh, he he was at Doncaster. And you won't believe this, but my first coach was Steve Beagle. Was he really? Yep, so I nice. went down to Doncaster and Beegs was the under-18s coach and we, we played in the Northern Intermediate League, so Beegs was my first coach and, and, and he was brilliant, to be honest. You know, we, we used to do, the way we used to set his sessions up and we used to do all the Cruyff turning, the capping and all of this. Um, and, and it was, you know, it was, back in them days, were highly technical sessions and, you know, the, just his kind of, you know, the the way how he got all the players together was, was brilliant. And then Sheffield United, you had back-to-back promotions, didn't you, to get into the Premier League. And then you had the honour of scoring the first ever Premier League goal against Man United of uh, all clubs as well. Yeah, I certainly did. Um, you know, it was, a for, for me, I think we used to just go out. I think Leicester were a little bit like this as well. We used to just go out and we didn't really... We didn't really care who we were playing, you know, and, and it was the higher the team, the better, because we felt that the tougher games for we had nothing to lose if we play Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal, whoever. So we just used to go out and enjoy ourselves. It was the teams who we were going to be in and around that, you know, perhaps we were a little bit more wary of um, and, and had to prepare for better. But on those days, they were just kind of gimmies. 
you know, if you lose, no one cares. Um, so yeah, the, the the first game of the season and um, probably the best time to play them as well because they're not into their stride. They're still making adjustments. And uh, yeah, I managed to pop up after five minutes and, and I got a penalty in the second half as well. We beat them 2-1. <laughs> I just dropped that one in there, Rob, didn't I? Yeah, I just dropped that one <laughs> in there. <laughs> First one to score a brace as well, I think, in the Premier as well. So, I mean, I yeah. thought you might be slightly bored about talking yeah. about it, but uh, I am, no, he carries I am on Matt, but you know, I am Matty, <laughs> but you know what? People keep reminding me. You know what I mean? It's a badge of honour, that. yeah. It's, it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but then you went to your hometown club, Leeds, record signing. Yeah. Then you went back to Sheffield yeah. United. Then you had a yeah. spell playing under Graham Soonis at Benfica. Yeah. Uh, then Middlesbrough for £3 million pounds as well. Yeah. And before, that's yeah. even before you get to Leicester. I mean, that's yeah. quite an experience. Yeah, I mean, look, I, you know, that, that was... I learned a lot in those years, you know, about managers, about myself. You know, going abroad is a brilliant um, experience as a player. Uh, and then, I, it, you know, so so I, by the time I got down to Leicester, I, I, you know, I had a really... The last kind of th- three, four months at Middlesbrough were very tough because I was, I was working under Steve McLaren. And, um, you know, from the moment he got in, I, I didn't... I knew I wasn't going to get a fair crack of the whip with him. And, um, you know, it was a case of I had to stand my ground on, on certain issues. But, it, you know, it, you know when, when you get to the point where the manager's trying to humiliate you, you have to, you ha- it's time to move on. I couldn't fight anymore. Uh, and I remember there was, a, there was an issue. We, we did the, everybody used to hate doing the bleep test, in it, Matty. Bleep test was horrible. And um, yeah, shiver and, down and, my spine. <laughs> <laughs> and we were we were doing it one day, and um, you know, while we were doing the bleep test, I, it was when I'd been bombed, and um, I, I just started doing it, and then I thought, you know what? Why am I doing this? And and I, I dropped out early, and I regret that because um, it's not me, and it's not professional. But I just had enough, and I thought, you know what? I got to get out of here. You know, there was we he'd, he'd come in with Bill Bezik and. Bill Bezik was talking about, you know, getting on the bus and being on the journey. And I'd already been told that I wasn't part of the um, setup moving forward. So I was like, what am I doing in this room? You know, so it's, it's, I think we, we learn and people learn how to be sensitive, you know, and, and certainly myself. And it wasn't just me, you, you know, when, when people have played and, and had careers like I did, you, you deserve a little bit more respect and, you know, perhaps that comes down to um, the way our people manage. And if you want to keep your squad on board, you, you have to make sure that you address all the issues of all the players. Because if you if you try and single people out, then the players are going to go, well, you know what? That could be me. You know, they're but yeah, for the grace of God. It's you know? disappointing that, Dino, isn't it? When, you know, yeah. I experienced it to a lesser extent at the latter end of my career. But... Um, I take it as like they don't want the confrontation and they haven't got yeah. the sort of personality Balls. to deal with yeah. it. And, you know, if they come and explain things to the likes of yourself in that situation, yeah. you go, okay. But rather than, like you say, semi-ridiculing you, in, yeah. you know, bordering embarrassing you, like, you know, training with the kids and all that business, totally unnecessary and it backfires on them as well, doesn't it? Yeah, but, um, exactly. I, I, I never really spoke to you about it. How was it out in Benfica then? You know, generally and the atmosphere and also underground soonest were you there when he he put the flag in the uh 
in the no, that was, it, no, that that was um, he was in Turkey at the time. No, that, that was, was Turkey. I'm getting yeah, wrong. When yeah, at, yeah. yeah, when he was at yeah, when he was at Galatasaray and he did it at Fenerbahce. <laughs> Fenerbahce. Are you glad you weren't there? Wasn't it? <laughs> yep, I certainly am. Um, <laughs> no, it was it was you know the diff. There's a massive difference, and I'm I, I'm one of these guys. I think, I've, and I've said it for years. I've said it for the best part of twenty years that we won't win a World Cup until we have players who go out and bring things back from the European leagues like Spain, like Italy, like France and have them in the team so we know how to adjust on the pitch. I mean, it's a little bit different now because all the best players are here. But back in those days, you know, I learned so much about being abroad, about being a British player abroad uh, and realising that, you know what, you, you, I think over there you have to get the respect of the fans in, in order to kind of settle in. You know, so that means you have to, you have to uh, in, embrace their culture. You can't sort of like have this stiff upper lip attitude. You know, obviously they had a preconceived idea about me. It took a little while for me to 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 um, to settle in with the players, but once I did, it was brilliant. I mean, I've got you know one of my best friends is um, centre back. I played with Paulo Madeira, played with Nuno Gomes, who's um, of course you all know he's one of Portugal's all time top scorers and. You know, he, he played for the national team, played for Benfica, Fiorentina, came over here and played for Blackburn. Yeah, played against um, him pre-season friendly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did that yeah. partnership go? Yeah, it was good. You know, the, the best thing about that was that Nuno was prolific and um, Benfica's one of them places. It's like Real Madrid, Barcelona. If you haven't scored after half an hour, all the white handkerchiefs come out and, you know, we used to mm. play in front of like 50,000, 60,000 at home. So... A lot of the teams used to play um, deep, you know, so they'd, they'd sort of like play very compact and very deep and they were hard to break down. And and somebody like me coming from the way we played football over here, it, you know, it took me a little while to settle in. But the good thing was that Nuno was so prolific at the time that, you know, that he it opened up spaces for me. So once I scored... You know, it, it kind of complete. You know, I, obviously the partnership worked because, you know, I, I set him up, but he also, the space that he made gave me the opportunity to find my own um, feet in, in games as well. Um, so so the, on the pitch, it was brilliant. Um, off the pitch, absolutely fantastic. I had a, um, I was living in a place called Kashkai, which is the next little town to Estoril, which is kind of upmarket just outside um, Lisbon by the sea and and it was it was a great place to be for my for my time there I actually wanted to um, go to Spain from from Portugal but the problem I had was that we had a lot of financial issues at the club and and when Middlesbrough came in I, I'd got quite sick of it and I decided I, I wanted to come back home um, and and just settle back down over here. But yeah, no, overall fantastic experience. Um, it was like being on holiday. <laughs> you know, where you, you, you're yeah. over there, and it's it's January, and I'm wearing a t-shirt, and I'm thinking, hang on, shouldn't you be playing football, or shouldn't you have some clobber on a summer? And you know, <laughs> so no, it was it was a great experience. I was going to say, Dino, you had a good partnership with Nuno Gomez on the pitch. I bet you didn't knock about with him off the pitch, did you? He was a good-looking boy. You didn't want him cramping his style. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, right. Those guys, all of them guys, they had um, 
well, they were all married quite young. Um, and I remember one time I was um, I was in uh, I was injured, so I was in the kind of the the you know the players box type thing. And um, I tell you what, I wouldn't like to cross any of their missuses, the lads, because they're like their their wives were like fans, but they were like they're watching the games. Feisty. Swearing at the linesman and the referee. And I was like, I just sat there thinking, geez, you know. <laughs> but then you came home and after Borough, you ended up at Leicester with Matt and all the other lads. And yeah. it was Dave Bassett that brought you to, to Leicester, was it? What I mean, it's a shame really because the club was having difficulties off the field at the time. But what was it like being part of that dressing room? And, and on the oh, field at the time. Yeah, oh, <laughs> I- yeah, I mean, I, I, when I came in, it was a... Br- Honestly, I, I say this to people. I mean, I've been in some good changing rooms. That, that, you know, when when I was at Sheffield United, it was it was fantastic because I was, um, you know, I was a young lad. I, I wasn't thinking anything about anything other than playing. And, you know, it was a different era. And so we could go out, we could, you know, we could go out to clubs and all the rest of it. When I went down to Leeds, I had some great mates, had some brilliant times and it was my hometown club. When when I went to Leicester, I mean, oh my God, it was just the best mix of people in that change room. You know, you had Imps and Frank, you <laughs> had, uh, yeah, I mean, see what I mean? You had Tags rolling in, Matty, Walks, um, Jordan, all the young lads, Stefan Oaks. You know, you know, it, it was just a brilliant mix. And I got into changing rooms and, and the banter was just on a different level. You know, the, the, the kind of camaraderie that we had at the time, you know, and, and OK, we, we, we struggled to stay up that first year. But um, the, the kind of just the togetherness with the lads, I found we, we had a really great spirit. And, and moving into the, um, the year we were in the championship, actually, when, when, the, uh, when the club nearly went out of business, you know, as, as a group of players, we, we actually just all got together and said, right, guys, listen, we've got to get out of this, us. You know, that was without the manager, any interjection from the manager. You know, we said, right, guys, this is down to us. There's every, we can beat every team in this league. We've just got to prepare properly. We want our money <laughs> back. <laughs> but it, no, it, it's that was funny a joke, you say but... that, Dino, with, uh, you know, about the spirit yeah, with yeah. Leicester, because that had carried over from initially sort of the Martin and Eel days that everyone knows about, etc. and that spirit had, had not dwindled a touch, um, you know, but, but what we've happened under Peter Taylor, which had gone on a downward curve in terms of results, etc. And there was a bit of a lull around the place for a bit. But yeah, it's interesting that you you still think that that spirit was like, it was still in there somewhere, you know, because some of the players had been through both periods and coming out of it and then good characters coming into the, to the yeah. club as well. And, yeah, yeah. And, and players like yourself who've got the experience, the, mm. yeah, we're able Dickie. to sort of pick up on that. We, we're yeah. Paul Dick of, yeah, I mean, yeah. That, I mean, you know, it was typical of that sort of spirit, I think, that season in the Championship when we, because things were changed too, uh, too late to have any real effect when Harry Bassett, Dave, came mm. in and then Mickey Adams right at the end. And so it was a fresh start almost, wasn't it? And a mm. clean sheet. Yeah. But we yeah. had the likes of Billy McKinley in there, yeah. uh, Nicky Summerby, yeah. you know, playing for nothing, a, literally, yeah. initially, after a trial period. But we had experience right through that team. And I think as players, like we, we, we realised what was needed. It wasn't mm. just about playing football. We needed to knuckle down. We needed to show our professionalism and experience to, to get where yeah. we wanted to be. And we ground it out. And through that, 
we developed a bond, didn't we? Like that as well. Oh, it was, yeah, it, honestly, mind you yeah. saying that even pre-season was pretty lively. Do you remember, remember that little trip to Finland? <laughs> yeah, I do. Had? I do. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to go into that now. But honestly, well, I mean, I... Think, I well, we might do. We might do in a minute. Well, yeah, OK. <laughs> well, if we've got time. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But um, but no, you're right. I mean, I I bought a flat down at Glenfield, and um, I say Jordan Stewart. I took Jordan under my wing, and we used to have such a laugh. Uh, and I I used to really enjoy mentoring some of the young lads, you know. Steve O, John Stevenson. Steve O, right? yeah. The amount of conversations I, I, I had with Steve O. How was he? He's, he's a machine, a isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's solid now. Yeah, he's a yeah. PT, isn't he? PT. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. Right. We digress. Yeah. You did though. You did mentor. The lad. I remember in particular Steve O, but he Steve-O didn't miss pipes. You, you you kept telling him, I, and I could see the signs. It's like you know coming on to train. You know a young lad get onto the training pitch before the the pros get on, and and the man and the manager's seen you coming on after everybody else. Because what what young lads don't rec- re- recognize is that these are all characteristics that they'll be made judgments on. You know, I've done it myself when I went to manage. Like, if I if I see somebody somebody's attitude and character, you know, you you want to know if you can trust those people. And um, you know, there was one time I saw Steve come onto the training pitch and he had he had half of his hair in plaits and the half in an afro. I was like, what the what are you doing? On the other side of the fence, you had Matty Piper who was quiet um, and you know shy almost and. Um, you know, but he had all the talent in the world. You know, Jordan right through the middle, he was like a fizz bomb, wasn't he? Yeah, Jordan's a good lad. I haven't seen him for a long time. Do you, do you speak to him, Dina? Yeah, I speak to him all the time. He's, he lives in America. Yeah, so I mean, I know he's over there. Yeah, but but no, I mean, honestly, it was, it's funny, uh, Matty, when I left, you know, because we used to call each other Wilf, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> It was just a pet name, basically. And the, the day I left and I went down to West Ham, all you guys went and bought a, um, a registration plate with Wilf on it. And <laughs> That's right. Yeah, put it above my now. spot. And it, so it read Wilf. And then right at the end, it went R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good times, son. What about socially? Because you all got on, didn't you? You all went out and uh, famously spoken to Matt many times about the bond the lads had away from the the football as well, which impacted on the team spirit on the pitch. I'm going to jump in here quickly, Dino. Go on then. In in reference to the aforementioned Finland trip, for example. (laughs) I mean, Dino, big hulking, brooding figure on the pitch, isn't he? We went out socially. And in this instance, Mickey Adams said, pre-season or not, Boys, you can have a few drinks tonight. We're like, okay, boom. And we're there like jackrabbits and bang on the dot. And uh, we're all having a few drinks. And then he said to Brian, what are you having? He said, six foot four, where you're 15 stone of muscle. <laughs> a quite high-pitched voice at the time. It's gone a bit, d- d- like, like me, it's gone a bit deeper these days. I'll have a white wine spritzer, please, lads. We're like, what? <laughs> What's going on there? <laughs> Lightweight. And then remember you had this drinking game where you're all, you can't point and you've got to elbow instead of point. When you make an accusation, you've got to drink with the right hand. You've got to tap it twice and you can't swear. All these different stipulations. And Brian and Les Ferdinand, it was, being the elder gent, elder statesman, they were too cool for that. And they're on the outside, on the periphery, and it was all kicking off in the drinks, drinks area. And in the end, we enticed Brian to get involved. And within a minute or 30 seconds, he'd swore <laughs> twice. 
pointed twice and drunk with his left hand three times. <laughs> so there was a penalty involved. Uh, and useless, about half an hour yeah. later, he got carried off to his room. <laughs> that was the end of him. Good night. I always yeah. remember that shirt you had, Dean. It was like a yellowy orange. And it had turned, by the time you got oh, dragged Jesus. off, it had turned a brownie yeah. green through Oof. a combination of saliva and sweat. I, 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 had some, <laughs> I had some rascal gear, didn't I? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a little scared to rip you for it, but until we had a couple of drinks. So how did your um, time at Leicester come to an end then, Brian? How, I mean, you had some great success with the promotion. What? Yeah, so so basically what happened was um, we got to the end of the season and um, obviously there was, you know, the, the manager decided he was going to make wholesale changes. He brought in a lot of players, I think a lot of them on freeze and so on. And 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 he said to me, you know, look, I can't promise you any game time. And I, and I, I was gutted because I, I didn't, you know, I'd, I'd settled in the area. I loved my time down there and and I was trying to hold on and hold on. And, and, it, and it got to the point where, you know, my time even, my time on the bench was even being marginalised. This is after we've gone back up. And, um, I, you know, I, I remember that the last game I played was away at Chelsea and it was when um, Roman Abramovich, just after Abramovich had um, bought Chelsea. And I remember I came on as a sub and, um, you know, in that game. And I, I wasn't sulking, but, I you know, it affects your confidence as a forward if you kind of, if you're getting 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there. You, by the, you know, that time of my career, by the time I'm coming on, I'm like, you know, you, you need time to adjust to the game and so on. And um, I remember I missed a really good opportunity. You know, one of those things where it was a ball that came across and I've, and I've headed it and I've headed it over. And I I just thought, you know, if all I'm going to get is, is a little snippet of a chance and then, you know, I've got no chance to put it right. You know, this ain't good for my mental health. So I think what happened then was um, there was a couple of clubs came in for me Um one of them was West Ham. So uh, I went and I, I spoke to Alan Pardew and uh, I can't remember who the chief exec was at the time, but I, I was I was really impressed and I, I I didn't quite fancy going down to London. I thought, you know, if I'm going down to London, I, I was in two minds because, you know, it, it was a huge club, uh, West Ham, but I was thinking, do you want to be going further south or do you want to be going north? It's, it's expensive down there, you know, and all of this kind of stuff. And, I just they're all like Andy Impey down there, mate. As well. Yeah, that's the other thing. They're all like imps and Frank, you know what I mean? So uh, and walks, but uh, but no, I, I you know what? In the end, I went down, um, and it was fine. It, it was um, turned out to be a good move for me. I got a new lease of life. I was playing with Jermaine Defoe and Michael Carrick, and you know some of these, you know Thomas Repka, you know some really really good players. So. Um, you know, it was, and and we had some we had some good lads in the changing rooms, believe it or not, as well. You know, one of the funniest guys I've ever come across, a guy called Kevin Orlock, and um, yeah. his uh, his banter is off the scale. Um, so that was one of the funny things about Kevin was that the West Ham fans. I don't know if you've ever been on the chicken run side of the pitch, they used to call it. And um, when he wasn't in the team, he used to say to the captain, I think it was Christian Daly, he said, "Listen." Dales, can you make sure that we we kick with the chicken run? So basically, as a left footer, you'd find yourself over there, and he knew he wasn't going to be coming on the pitch until after half time. So I said, make sure you kick so that I don't get any um, bile off the fans on that side because they were notorious down that 
far side uh, at Upton Park. Um, may, no, may I remember was... Steve Wolford, Dino, sorry jumping in. He was our coach before you came to the club, but ex-Arsenal, yeah. but West Ham for a little bit. Because of his ex-Arsenal days, they didn't mm. take too kindly at Upton Park to him. And um, he used to volunteer, but he was quite versatile, Steve Walford. So when West Ham were playing that way, he should have been playing left back. He opted to play right back. And then the second half, he played <laughs> left back. <laughs> they used to absolutely <laughs> lambast him and give him all sorts of abuse. And he's a home player. <laughs> Fast forwarding a little bit through your career, because time's running short. But um, I wanted to ask you about um, your experiences... A, as a manager in Norway with Sarpsborg, yeah. and I believe now you're a shareholder in a club in Kosovo. How did you end up in either of those yeah. places? Okay, so so I'll address the Kosovo situation. So I, I, I actually went over there because I've got a friend who is... Um, You've got to travel that there. far for a friend. That's right. That's me. <laughs> That's me struggling. Um, but no, he's... He, I, uh, uh, Francesco's from Norway, and uh, but he's he's um, Kosovo national, and um, so I met I met Francesco when I was over in um, in Norway. He's a brilliant bloke. He's he's still one of my best buddies now, and um, basically because it's a young country, in many ways there the, you know there are opportunities um, business wise and so on. So what me and him have done is actually we were just facilitating businesses going down there one of the one of the sets of people we took down is a is a big company in Norway and they they're involved in renewable energy and one of the things that they do is biofuels they've got this um, company called Pemco and they have a product which um, is a coal replacement so for example you you could um, if you if you've got a, a power station that runs on coal you can replace it with these pellets. It, it burns more efficiently. It, there's no waste. Basically, all the you know all the pollution and that can get cut straight away. So, we we've um, introduced them to some of the local municipalities um, because they have a lot of coal in Kosovo and they they need to get away from um, that kind of that fossil fuel. So we've just basically acted as introducers, and that's how we went down there and. And then there was people who realised that I play football and, and, and it just came from there, really. So my, my involvement is more of a kind of consultant and st uh, strategy. And we, we put in some ideas about how a club like that should move forward with, you know, young players, um, you know, coming through. And, and you, you try and put a programme in place like um, bring in players, they, they move them on, make money, the money stays in the club. And um, you then get to develop the player. So that was the strategy that we went in with. But it's still, you know, it's a difficult one to to implement if you've got um, people who want to do it a certain way. So we kind of, we've gone in, we, we've said, right, this is what we want to do. This is the strategy that we want to um, implement there. And it didn't go down. So I think right now we're in the process of actually saying, OK, we, we shake hands and we move on. Um, so that's that's how I've ended up down in Kosovo. There's you know a couple of other bits, but the main thing was non-football related. To be honest, um, I mean it is an exciting situation. But at the end of the day, you know my my football knowledge is 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 everything that I know about English football. Coming back now further into where I went back to Norway. I, I when I came out of football when I 
when I when I actually um, retired, you know, I, I I was 38 and I thought, right, I've had enough. I've, I'm quite happy with my lot. Um, but it, it's funny because football kind of grabs you back in um, pretty quickly. And I decided I did my badges. I ended up in Norway um, and um, it was at a club where they'd been relegated from the top division. They got promoted and then they wanted, they changed the coach when they got promoted because they needed to go in a different direction. They wanted to be more professional. They wanted to, um, you know, they wanted, you know, they wanted to change the, the, the kind of mentality within the club. Um, so, so I managed to get an interview for that job and um, it, it was great because, you know, I, I used everything that I'd, gained as a player and, and working under certain managers um one of the biggest things i mean coming back to the thing with steve mclaren was i i you know i knew how to deal with players you know and i, I you know even if you're going to drop a player you've got you know it, it might be something that you're deliberating about overnight or whatever but you have got to give them that respect so i gave everybody the opportunity to be part of what i wanted to do and you know matty don't you that if you've got a manager who you know respects you, but not only you, but everybody in the team. Everybody will play as long as you're honest. Yeah. Or then, then the players will play for you. You've, you've got to be the alpha in the, you know. So I took no nonsense, you know. And 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 there's a little bit of psychology as well. There were times where, and I learned a lot from Dave Bassett, my my first spell with Dave at Sheffield United, where there'd be times where we'd win games and we'd win it easily. And, and of course, at that point, everybody's buoyant. And then he'd come in next day and he'd go, right, I'm not happy. I'm, you know, and, and he'd be like, oh, so that kept you on a balance. And then there were times where we'd lost the game and been crap. And then you'd be thinking, oh, God, we're going to get it when, when the gaffer comes in. And he'd be so, totally calm. So it was, it was a real good balance. And, and these are all kind of, these are man management tactics that it's not only in football, it's it's whatever industry you're in that you, you can implement. It, for me, um, football management was all about creating the right environment for people to um, thrive in. Uh, and that means, you know, simple things like, it's like a time when I was at Leeds and um, Howard Wilkinson was just about to get sacked and there were about nine players in the... Um, in the in the treatment room and um george graham took over and what he did was he says right if you're injured you're in at half eight and you go home at five and within about two three weeks everybody was back on the training pitch so that was that's one way of doing it but the other way of doing it that that causes its own problems though dino doesn't it because people are less keen to be in in the treatment room which is fine but sometimes they get out of there before they should (laughs) yeah they do so so yeah and, and you're right matty but it's about you know, the thing with George was he knew because the psychology of it was, you know, he was testing people's character. And and what he was saying was, OK, we know some... Because when he came to Leeds, when George came to Leeds, I was actually... Uh, I'd, I'd torn my groin muscle. So I was out. I, I couldn't play anyway. So for me, I, I was just like, OK, it doesn't affect me. But there were a few people with a couple of little niggles here and there and he'd obviously was looking at people's character and thinking, yeah, right, mean, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that's one way of doing it. The other way of doing it is making sure that it's a really good atmosphere and environment to be involved in. And, and that comes back to Leicester where, you know, everybody wanted to be and everybody wanted to train. I mean, don't get me wrong, sometimes the, the kind of the physio area was a bit of a meeting point for people and it'd be, you know, and that, that could 
that can be a problem as well. But look, I, I was just I was just using every tool that I'd learned over twenty one years playing and 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 playing under certain managers. So it, it was um, yeah, it was it was a great time, you know, um, managing. It, it's it's very lonely, you know. When when you um, when you lose, you feel like you're the worst person in the world. When you win, you get about a two two hour window to enjoy it, and then you've got to start thinking about the next game and how's he doing and what's my squad look like, what do they look like. There's all the logistics, you know. I mean, I came back from um, Norway and 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 I was quite buoyant, and I and I obviously hoped after after working and managing in the top division over there that I I would get a job um, back over here, and um, you know I came back and. You know, I, I couldn't even get an interview and I was I was very disappointed. But, you know, I kind of decided, you know what, Brian, don't, don't, you know, don't hanker on it. Don't get bitter. Just move on. You know, I, I know that like myself, people like myself, I've got a lot to offer. But for me now, that that's over. And, and the more I, time I spent out of it, I thought I had two good years where, you know, I took over a team. We stayed in the top division. And then in the second year, we, we finished eighth, got to a, a cup semi-final. And um, I thought, you know what, it's been brilliant. But unless you go somewhere and you've got good resources um, and, and, and because I'm older as well, you know, I have to have this. I have to ha- I have I, I'm not just going to go somewhere because I want to be a football manager. I'm, you know, I'm 52 and, and I've kind of got to the point where I don't I don't want to conquer the world anymore. I'm here um, just like Matty with experiences, you know, we're here to be tapped into for advice, for mentoring, for whatever you want to call it, looking back on what we've done. But I'm not going to I'm not going to chase those opportunities because the thing is, in football, there's a lot of frauds. Um, there's a lot of people out there who, you know, they, they've they'll, they'll fluff out their CVs and they'll say they've done X, Y or Z. The truth is that there are people when you've worn the shorts, you, you have a feeling and you know, you know, you, you get a gut for what's going on. Life doesn't change. People people don't change. You know, it's like a circle. Every, every situation is something that somebody's been through before. So there, there's a lot of people and there's a lot of people who hang on the back of, of a title or whatever. But the, the problem now is that because of this COVID thing, there's going to be a lot of cuts. And, you know, all of those areas where things got, there was a lot of fat and excess and all the rest of it. Clubs are going to have to cut down and they're going to have to decide, you know, what is, what do we need? Who's going to have to do a little bit more? You know, you can't have an assistant having an assistant and then he's got an assistant. All of those things are going to have to, um, you know, be cut down now, you know, and people are going to have to show their worth. Brian, thank you so much for spending time with us. I'm, I'm sorry we kept you over, but um, thank you very much for joining us on 5,000 to 1. Uh, Matt, yeah. thank you again for your contribution. Uh, love listening Pleasure, to your mate. stories every week. Good to speak to Dino. About time we caught up. <laughs> yeah, Brilliant. absolutely. I'll see, you down at, I'll see you down at the stadium soon. Oh, Brian Dean for mayor, mate. That's the way forward. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start a campaign for you. Thank you very much for listening to 5,000 to 1.